This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Well, Adam, it's great having you on the podcast. I'm a big fan of yours. Yeah, glad you're here. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. You know, a lot of people probably don't know that you are one of the masterminds behind a lot of the videos that people probably have seen of Jeff teaching or people from Soma Tacoma teaching. Uh, Those videos have been super helpful and you made them. How long ago was that when you went up to Tacoma and made a bunch of those videos? Gosh, you know, most of that was four or five years ago now. So that's awesome. But spent a lot of time looking at Jeff's face behind a behind a camera screen. <laughs> that, yeah, then editing them. And that was the big beard, Jeff, right? That was the big beard, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. No, go down in infamy. <laughs> so I felt like I knew Jeff way better than I actually did going through that video filming process. <laughs> that's so great. Yeah, it was too funny. One of the things that's fun about that is Jeff had a big beard for like maybe six months of his whole life. Yeah. You know, but those videos have been so like prominent and helpful that it's like, yeah, that's like the way he is on video all over the internet. (laughs) (laughs) What happened? He's like, I never, I had a beard like once five years ago. Yeah. That's great. Well, we're really thankful for that contribution and many, many others. Uh, Might have just jumped ahead in the story a bit, but how did you get involved in serving and leading the church? Um, How did you get wrapped up into uh, this whole Soma Saturate world? Uh, How did you end up at DOXA? Give us the full story. Sure. Yeah, I would love to. So I actually got connected to a Soma church plant Uh, in late high school. And it was kind of a crazy situation where this 100-year-old Presbyterian church got behind a plant outside of the denomination, which really happens and was a really beautiful um, just kind of vision of what the kingdom looks like in in that happening. And uh, it came at a really timely time for me where I was kind of disillusioned with the church in a lot of ways. I saw it be in, in many ways more about a Sunday program, a Sunday event, uh, and really everyday discipleship. And that was something that I was wrestling with as a student and trying to figure out really big picture um, what that what that looked like and got connected to a Soma Church Plant in the San Francisco Bay where I did some summer internships, um, did also a summer internship up at Soma Tacoma and really just kind of fell in love with this vision of the church that uh, was much more about what was happening in the everyday stuff of life than just about what was happening um, on a Sunday event. And meanwhile, I was going to school down south at Biola University. So you're neck of the woods now. Yeah, I miss that at points when I'm here in the room. <laughs> um, but I went to school down at Biola and, uh, you know, came back for, for some internships and uh, wound up coming on staff at a Soma Church plant in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, as I wrapped up school. And started to lead a student ministry there and get that rolling and off the ground. And then uh, a little over a year ago, I came up here to DOXA 
uh, to be involved in our student discipleship here. Um, and I'm now leading uh, student discipleship at DOXA, as well as uh, our missional communities here involved in leadership of those as well. That's cool. Um, and it's been great to get to be a part of the team working with Jeff up here at DOXA, trying to figure out student discipleship. I feel like there's um, some definite lessons that I've learned along the way at Soma Ceremony Valley and at DOXA. Yeah. I feel like I'm learning um, alongside this community in many ways, but I'm really thankful be able to give energy to student discipleship in this season. Yeah, that's awesome. So you were a student when you first kind of encountered missional communities and SOMA. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And in ways, it really kept me tethered to the church because I was just kind of in a traditional youth ministry and really yearning for more and missional communities really provided that. Um, and gave me a vision for the church that was uh, something that was mm-hmm. more than what I had experienced. And I'm super thankful for the church that I grew up at. Faithful people love them dearly, and I don't mm-hmm. want to speak ill anyway. Right. Was, there was something I was looking for that I wasn't seeing, and uh, and I really found that in missional communities and in kind of Soma's vision um, of, of the church, which I think is just really kind of the biblical vision um, of, of the church. And I'm really thankful for that. It was really significant in my story. Yeah. And so like, as you did that, were you on your own or like, was it your parents were joining this church or were you just kind of like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to find a, a different kind of church or how did you get I'm just curious by that. Like as a high school kid. Yeah. You know, it was, it was more so on my own. I, um, just kind of started getting connected to the core team of this church plant. Jeff flew down and did what at the time was a Soma one day. Now that'd be much more like a saturate one day, but went through the story of God, started to see mm-hmm. um, how the Bible is one big story that tells us about Jesus and how uh, really the whole story, including the Old Testament, points us forward mm-hmm. towards him. And I was just blown. I remember uh, sitting in the parking lot afterwards, mm-hmm. just weeping. As I saw the beauty of Jesus in the Old Testament for the first time, wow. and how the whole Bible uh, is, is woven together so beautifully, and uh, it was just incredibly transformative, and um, just really was was drawn in both by the theology and practice of it. I guess you know there was the um, just kind of the realities and more gospel centered teaching and um, more narrative theology that was um, really present in Soma that was attractive and. Um, something that was that was new that I hadn't heard before, and then the practice of living that out mm. in, in missional community life that was uh, really compelling and beautiful, and have kind of been along that journey uh, ever since. That's awesome. Yeah, and so you come kind of to this even through this whole journey of yeah, getting involved in that church plant uh, stuff you were able to do in college and then internships in Tacoma. And then now back at DOXA, you kind of have this kind of like this proven reality of the reality of the story of God and the centrality of Jesus into our lives and the call to make disciples, uh, to live as family as the church really is kind of transformative for you. This isn't something you've kind of like backed into as like, Oh, like let's make our student groups more fun or more, communal you're like this is this is part of your life for a long time yeah totally yeah that's really cool i think that's amazing even as you think about the trajectory of your life do you ever sit and wonder like what if you hadn't gotten connected to soma and that church plant like what what do you think 
I always find that to be really interesting because that seems kind of like a pretty like life altering decision in high school. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) It is interesting to think that I was a pretty angsty high school kid at the time I was reading a lot of Shane Claiborne and, you know, just kind of ready to go (laughs) for what the next thing was. Nice. I I wonder, um, you know, it really seems like in a lot of ways um, there was some angst that was, uh, you know, probably not very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But there also was, I think, a a healthy discontent, I think, in what I had been experiencing in the church and what I saw in the scriptures. And in a lot of ways, Soma kept me tethered to a local church in ways I could see myself. I could have seen myself pretty quickly potentially venturing outside of the local church to try and be a part of a mission that was significant significant and meaningful. And I think it, it provided a way for me to faithfully follow Jesus and the convictions that I was forming from the scriptures and be tethered to a local church. And I think that was a really important, really significant piece of my story. Mm. Yeah. that Like you might've just drifted off and try to figure out for yourself, kind of like graduated from church kind of thing where you sure, would have yeah. just trying to figure out for yourself, yeah. oh, this is what's good. This is what spirituality is for me. This is how I follow Jesus kind of as a lone ranger. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, there was even a lot of, you know, at the time there was a lot more conversation about emergent church and, you know, this is close to 10 years ago. So yeah, <laughs> it's okay to be dated. Yeah, it was, but you know, it was, it was interesting just even some of the conversations that were happening um, at the time. And there were just a ton of folks who were just kind of like, throwing away the local church uh, in a way that was really unhelpful and really damaging. And I think Soma provided a path forward that was, yeah, was just really helpful. So I was really glad for that in my story and glad just for God's kindness in a really vulnerable, really kind of pivotal time in my life. Mm-hmm. Get in, get in the hold of me and uh, just allow me to, to pursue that path. So I'm really glad for that. Yeah, that's really neat. And so, I mean, even probably, Within your own story, you could answer this question kind of as we get into the to the meat of this topic. But yeah, why do students like junior high, high school students matter in our churches in the mission of God? Yeah, you know, I think students matter because youth are the church. Students are disciples of Jesus, just like any adult is a disciple of Jesus. You know, we talk often about the vision for gospel saturation. Uh, that we want to see every man, woman, and child mm. have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. And so that includes teenagers. That's a huge part of what it means to have a healthy, functioning church, being an intergenerational family with one another. The adults in the church need the youthful passion of students, and the students in the church need the wisdom of adults. And so it's it's super important that we see that the church is is a family that needs one another across all generations integrated together as the family of God. And that students really see themselves, not just as JV disciples, not just as kind of a siloed part of the church or that they have the message that they'll be the church someday, but that they are the church now, um, that they're integral to the mission of the church. Now they're not just the mission fields, but they're also missionaries or witnesses uh, in, in the church now. And so I think it's, important that students see themselves that way, that that's tied into their gospel identity. 
Um, and it's also, you know, crucial larger picture for the future of the church, right? Because students are our future leaders, our future pastors, our future church planners, future folks who are going to be witnessing to Jesus in the marketplace, in uh, all vocations. You know, it's they're central to the future of Christianity flourishing, um, you know, in, in, in the future. And so it's, it's vital um, that we see how students really are the next generation of uh, disciples and pour into them. Um, and there's incredible opportunity and it's strategic for us in that our future leadership pipeline is students. Um, right. And so we need to be uh, really giving energy to them um, to recognize that that's some of the best place we can be putting um, our energies for the longevity of churches that we're a part of for the broader future of the church in North America in a post-Christian culture. Uh, it's, it's super important for us to be given energy to it. Yeah. It seems like what you're saying is like, well, they matter because they're disciples in our church, just like everyone else. And then be called to the same things, be reminded of the same things, grow up in the same things. But also you're saying too, that's like, they're the future uh, they're the present church and they're also the future church, right? Yeah, exactly. Totally. And on more of, you know, the future aspect of it, the opportunity that's there for us is is incredible. And it's also sobering too with what's at stake. Recent study that I read uh, from Pine Tops Foundation called The Great Opportunity uh, was super helpful. Talked about the rate that students are presently leaving the church is about a million students a year. And so we're bleeding. <laughs> Out right now in a lot of ways. Uh, there's yeah. a significant opportunity that's there for the church to really reach the next generation. And if we don't, uh, there's significant consequences to that because these, again, these are our future church planners, our future pastors. These are the future of our faith. Mm-hmm. So it's super important that we see the, the opportunity that's there. This is one of the largest missions opportunities in the history of America that we have before us. Uh, and really discipling well the next generation of students that, that lie before us. Yeah, that's amazing. And and quite the task. Totally. Yeah, and I think that we're even kind of beginning to see some of that uh, just in conversations I have with uh, church leaders or denomination leaders who are trying to recruit people to be church planters or into seminary even. And like the the pool of people to call into leading the church, serving the church, even the maturity of disciples in their twenties as just like members of our churches, all of that is is just beginning to to show itself, it seems like, all over the United States. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I also read that Pine Tops thing. It's uh it was very inspiring, helpful, and like, let's get to work, you know? Yeah. I felt equal parts sobering and also uh, exciting as far as the opportunity that's before us. Yeah. It's those things. It's yeah, it's exciting. It's difficult. And I think too, and maybe you experienced this as well is often we're looking for leaders and what we're, we've been given instead is people to disciple. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that that's true in my own life. Like my own experiences Whenever I was 16, I don't think anyone was like, hey, let's like, let's ask Brad to be like a leader of our church or anything. But there were people when I was 16 who just looked at me and said, this is a person in our church to disciple Mm -hmm. and call up to make disciples himself right now in this moment. Mm -hmm. And that was incredibly transformative. And I think with students, we have that, that same calling. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you've led discipleship for students, both in a church plant in the Bay Area, now in the Seattle area, a different church plant versus, you know, you've been in more of a uh, attractional or larger kind of scale church as well. Um, so with that background, you know, what are some of the things in your opinion that are crucial components for effective discipleship for students? Yeah, you know, one of the key things that we've really settled on in the way that we talk about student discipleship at DOXA is that we really want to be inviting students into three things. We want to be inviting students to live life with Jesus. We want to be inviting students to live life in community. And we want to be inviting students to live life on mission. We really see that those three components are essential to student discipleship across any context, and really adult discipleship too, but there's particular ways that those are contextualized uh, for students. And so the foundation really of student discipleship is we want to be inviting students to live life with Jesus. We want to be inviting them into spiritual practices, into cultivating a deep inner life with God. We can't assume that that's there in ways that we might have been able to in past generations where We just assumed that kids would be reading their Bible on a regular basis because that was kind of what was expected. That's not the case now Mm -hmm. in an increasingly post-Christian context. And so we really uh, need to be equipping students to cultivate life with Jesus. We need to see students living life in community, um, hopefully that expressing itself in intergenerational ways through missional communities, as well as um, some age-specific community for students in student DNA groups. Um, so that they're mm-hmm. uh, following this alongside peers uh, that can encourage them in their faith and mentors that are coming alongside them in their faith as well. Um, and then life on mission. I think a lot of students walk away from Jesus, not because of intellectual doubt, but that's certainly a thing, but because they were never challenged into anything that actually was more exciting than what culture had to offer them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we really want to invite students uh, to live out their identity as missionaries or witnesses of Jesus uh, in the everyday places where they find themselves. So thinking through how they can live as missionaries at their schools, on their sports teams, in the everyday rhythms uh, of their lives. We really want to help them uh, to see themselves in light of their gospel identity as family servants and witnesses um, and think through how they have a vital role to play in the mission of God. So those are those are three things that I think are, are central, life with Jesus, life in community, life on mission. Some other pieces that are just kind of non-negotiable across contexts is having adults who are a faithful presence in the lives of students. That's Hmm. really top of the list. I know Tim Parlier was on the podcast uh, a little earlier this year. That's something that he models and embraces in his life really beautifully. Uh, We want to see adults really being a faithful presence in the lives of students. That matters to them more than just about anything is if there's adults who are going to stick with them who aren't going to be in their life just for a short season, but are going to stick it out and longevity and care about their discipleship. That's huge. Mm -hmm. We also really want to see students integrated into the broader church. um, So they don't just see themselves as a siloed off part of the church, but really a vital part of the church as a whole integrated into our Sunday gatherings, serving in our Sunday gatherings, integrated into MCs. Um, So I'd say those are, those are a few um, of the elements that I think are, are most critical in, in student discipleship across contexts, whether it's a, a small church plant or a larger, more established churches. Uh, I think those are those are some of the non-negotiables. Yeah, that's a really good list and just a very helpful list. And 
and what it means to do effective discipleship for students. I think, you know, it's interesting you didn't like jump to like, well, you need like a space and you need a building and you need like tons of volunteers to like run this program. Like you're talking about, you know, effective discipleship needs to be rooting kids in spiritual formation and DNA groups and their identity with adult leaders who can really invest and be present, which is a probably a taller task. What do you say that just like having, having a Wednesday night thing? Yeah, totally. And it requires really good leaders. I tell our leaders often that they're really the youth pastors of the church and it's my role to equip them to do that work. Hmm. So you got to have folks that are really the level of leader that they could be leading a missional community. And some of our leaders for students at DOCSA are missional community leaders as well. Um, they're single and so they have a little bit more capacity generally. It's a lot on their plate. Uh, but I mean, you do need really good leaders. A lot rises and falls on the leaders because of this model is highly relational. Um, and it requires adults that are able to really be on the front lines of discipleship. But the beauty of it too, is if you are in a smaller Soma church with limited resources to give to student discipleship, um, if you're running with a little bit more of a simple model that really centers on student DNA groups, that doesn't need huge programming. It doesn't need huge budgets. There's a lot you can do with a little. Um, if you're just trying to take the first few steps towards pressing in mm-hmm. to student discipleship in a smaller uh, church plant or more of more of those realities. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's huge. So how do you, like whenever you're equipping or looking for leaders and you're like, yeah, you got to have good, great leaders. Like what are some of the 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 go-to qualities for them or or the go-to things that you're you as like as you're saying your your job is to equip them as the youth pastors in the church like what how do you like what are the things that they need to be equipped in yeah that's a great question uh you know we we talk often about kind of five foundations that we have for our student dna groups being gospel fluency spirit-ledness biblically rooted head heart hands and discussion for transformation so we really try and equip our leaders in those five core competencies um, so they can really know the gospel, know how to speak it into students' lives. So they're not just giving moralistic advice, but they're really seeing students be rooted in the gospel. Uh, We really want our leaders to be able to train students, to be able to be led by the Holy Spirit, to hear him, to practice listening prayer regularly. So they're not just living their life based off of principles, but an active living relationship Mm. with God led by his spirit in in all of life. Um, We want to see leaders be able to equip students to know the word, to love the word, to study the word, to be changed by the word. Uh, We want the the word to be central in our DNA groups. We don't want them to just be teaching environments, which is hard for me. I'm a shepherd teacher. And so I will always make things about the head a little bit too much and about the heart, but we we don't want them to just be teaching environments. We also want to see um, you know, students' hearts shepherded towards Jesus, gospel unbelief, exposed students responding in repentance and faith, and and them really being held accountable to what Jesus would ask of them. Um, then we want to see, you know, safe space for students to have discussion um, where they're really pursuing unknown truth about God together and and really communally discovering that. And so, you know, those are those are some of the things that we really want to see leaders be able to do. And of course, all that necessitates them walking in that themselves. Uh, so we want to see leaders who are, you know, engaging in spiritual practices themselves, who are uh, having a, a very healthy, vibrant life with God on their own and who are growing in these things. And so we do 
um, a lot of development with our leaders, have monthly meetings with all of our all of our student mentors um, with key equippings around these areas because it's it's a pretty high bar yeah. uh, for what we're asking. And so we want to do a lot of work kind of vetting on the front end who's who's coming into student discipleship and then a lot of equipping and high touch on the back end to make sure that they have the resources that they need uh, to be able to, to do that. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And so I guess the the next question might be, you know, as you're having, even as you're coaching these leaders or these student mentors, as you're working with students, um, what do you see are the, the challenges that students are facing right now and believing in the gospel of, of finding their identity in him? Like, what are, what are the unique challenges for them in this kind of current moment? There's so many, you know, towards the top of the list, I think is trying to figure out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus with an iPhone. Mm. Uh, that it's navigating digital distraction and some of the pressures that come with technology uh, is just wild. And it's something that no one's ever had to face, like the current generation of students that we have, um, where they come home from school and it used to be that kind of peer pressure could be done for the day. Right. Uh, but now it never now, you know, you always have more Snapchats and uh, more Instagram that you can scroll through and the pressure uh, to always be consumed with what other people think of them never goes away. And particularly in adolescence and all that happens um, in that season, that's intensely difficult to navigate um, and to learn how to navigate that space as a disciple of Jesus is, is exceedingly difficult. Um, so I think that's a real challenge for students. I think knowing how to navigate sexuality is incredibly difficult, particularly um, in a more progressive West Coast mm-hmm. city, being in Bellevue, um, right near Seattle. I mean, it's just crazy. I feel like I'm having conversations with students around uh, just different issues regarding sexuality and same-sex attraction and gender almost weekly because they're just if they if they say they're a Christian at their schools, that's one of the first conversations that they have to know to navigate. Yeah, um, immediately going to be a dozen different things that they're accused of um, if they're involved in a public school in this area. And I think that'll uh, increasingly be true across other areas of the country. Um, but there's equipping that we try and do with students around that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think another thing, and then we alluded to this a little bit earlier, too, that's just a challenge is is just lack of lack of spiritual practices in a life with God. Yeah. Um, that you know, we can just assume far too much. And a lot of students, even some of our most mature students, when we pressed in and asked questions about how often they're engaged in like really like 101 spiritual practices, like praying on their own and reading the Bible, like it's maybe a couple of months. Right. And we don't ever want to be, you know, moralistic in the way that we're going about encouraging students in that. But um, it is super important that we make space for um, really developing a vibrant life with God. And I think that we can assume too much in, in student discipleship that there, there is more that students are engaged in than they actually are. Um, and right. it's super important that we uh, kind of fan the flames there because if they don't have a meaningful life with Jesus, they're toast um, as far as navigating the pressure of digital distraction and everything that there is that they're up against right now. It's, it's a very hard time uh, to be a middle schooler or high schooler and follow Jesus. And there's, there's a lot that's stacked against them. Yeah. That, and it, yeah, it seems like so much more than definitely what I dealt with. You know, I think as a, when I was 16 and a Christian, 
you know, it would be like getting made fun of because I wouldn't, you know, drink at parties and I wouldn't have sex yet, you know, like, but it wasn't this whole like, so you're a bigot or you hate people who are like me or I don't know, like all of those, like just that plethora of stuff uh, that I live with now as like an adult, but trying to imagine my 16 year old self walking through that. Totally. Uh, is, is wild. I mean, you might've got some hate on your old MySpace profile, but you could just. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I, mine's out there somewhere. I can't remember what the name was, but MySpace, they never shut it down. Someone's paying for that server space. So. I mean, no, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's so different too. Like even, you know, what I think a lot of us experienced with even just like kind of the beginnings of social media, like you could log on to Facebook on a computer, but it's just different. It's not a device in your pocket that's constantly feeding you notifications and yeah. you're constantly seeing how liked you are and the reception. It's just, it's so hard to navigate that for adults, right. but particularly for adults who are in, um, you know, a, a space of identity for formation as an adolescent. Um, and that's why we try and do a lot of work around really establishing students and their gospel identity mm. um, because they know who who they are because of who God is and, and what he's done. Um, and that has to be bedrock for them because there's so many other voices that are saying so many different things about who they are and where their value should come from. And that's why they got to know. Right. Um, our family that they're servants and their witnesses because of the finished work of, of God. And so mm-hmm. that's just a super important thing um, for them to see. Oh yeah. And we're just all crying out for an identity. Yeah. Especially at that, that stage in their life when they're, yeah, really like making firm and solid some of those identity things. Totally. Yeah. So important. It, it even lends the question of like, can you root students in their identity if you don't have these mentor peer DNA relationships or cross generation generational things where you're sticking them in these missional communities, like things like that you experienced and I experienced as a young person, like, like would we be able to root students in their identity in Christ just with teaching once a week? That's when it kind of gets crazy, I guess, but, or pulling them, I guess we could pull them out of society, but. It's probably not going to set them up very well. No, probably not. Yeah. But yeah, I think that is huge. That like that is a, a very significant reason why it's so important that we take student discipleship seriously and we give significant energy to it because students are trying to follow Jesus and put down roots and soil that's super corrosive. And we don't have to fear that. Uh, we don't want to approach student discipleship with fear at all. Um, but we do want to put significant energy towards the discipleship of our students because they need it and they need multiple caring adults that are coming alongside them, that are coming to their sports games, that are deeply involved in their discipleship yeah. for them to to really follow Jesus. And it's the most strategic thing we can do um, is really deeply investing and pouring our lives into a few. And I realize in my role leading student discipleship at DOXA, I can't be that for every student. No one who's tasked with leading student discipleship in any church could. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has to be uh, the development of really great mentors that are pouring their lives into students consistently, faithfully walking with them because you have to be able to replicate yourself because you just can't be um, all things to every student. Um, mm-hmm. And particularly if you're in a smaller church and have a million things on your plate, if you're planting a smaller church, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Right. Uh, that are- 
vying for leaders' time. And so uh, super important you're able to develop folks that can really um, pour their lives deeply into a few students. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. You know, one of the things that because you're at DOXA and you work with Jeff uh, and you do student ministry, people find you on the website. What I've heard uh, from your wife, Sunny, who's a friend of mine and we work together on the Saturate team. One of the things I hear is that you get called all the time or emails all the time with student pastors at other churches like, hey, what's the secret sauce? And they ask you questions all the time. That's true, right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> So better or worse, yeah. For better or worse. So I'm just curious because you're in that kind of unique position. What what are some of the most common questions you get asked from people? Yeah, maybe the top question, and it's one that I wish I had a better answer to, is how do you integrate students into missional communities? Hmm. Um, how do you figure out meaningfully engaging students in the life of their family's missional community? And just to be honest, it's something that I'm honestly still wrestling through pretty significantly. We saw more at the uh, smaller summer church we were at in the Bay Area. That happened more effectively where students were just fully engaged as members of their family's missional community on mission with their family, really engaged in family meals, just kind of doing the rhythms of missional community life. And that was so formative for the students. There was this one missional community that was specifically reaching addicts at a recovery home and uh, students were brought along uh, in age-appropriate ways to that mission and got to know many of the men in this home and be light to them and see Jesus do incredible work through them and then be engaged in the rhythms of consistent family meals and prayer. And it was just incredible. So I've seen it. I've seen it happen. It takes adults uh, who really get the vision of it and are bought into it and are cultivating spaces for that because it's way easier just to have particularly middle school or high school students just not come uh, to different things that you're doing with your missional community um, or to have them just kind of be isolated off to the side on their devices. Um, but that is, that's us not seizing, I think, what is some of the lowest hanging fruit in discipleship uh, at our churches with students being in missional communities because we hear often in different studies, you know, Fuller Youth Institute did big study a while back um, in Sticky Faith that found that, uh, you know, if there is kind of a a magic ingredient to students keeping their faith as they go uh, into college and beyond, it's having multiple caring adults in the lives of students. And the ratio that they found that's ideal is one to five, five caring adults for one student. And the amazing thing is that Hmm. um, if you're a part of a church that uh, is organized around missional communities or, you know, a variant of different gospel communities on mission, those ratios exist in MCs, mm-hmm. cultivate those spaces. And if you really cast a vision for the whole church where student discipleship is valued and people think through how they can use missional communities as an intentional space to be um, creating those relationships with adults and students, it can be super powerful. And I've seen that happen where, man, at our last, uh, at, at Soma San Ramon Valley, uh, there was this one student and had an amazing dad who was very intentional in um, his discipleship. And for his 13th birthday, he did kind of a rite of passage, journey to manhood type thing. And he filled the table with eight or nine other men who were a part of the church, uh, who were guys who had been involved in his life in various ways, just speaking wisdom and life into him and um, really just establishing that these are men who uh, could be um, a continued source of wisdom in kind of stepping into manhood. And 
you know, it was such a beautiful thing where many of these men were a part of um, this boys' missional community. And uh, there was uh, such a beauty in just kind of this, this community discipleship of all these guys that were um, really banding together to see this kid become a disciple of Jesus that can make more disciples of Jesus. So um, I don't know what the magic ingredient is to um, yeah. getting, getting students into their families' missional communities fully, but thinking through how you can integrate students into uh, mission, into family meals, into a lot of the rhythms of missional community life is, is huge and it's mm-hmm. an incredible opportunity that's just present with more of a missional community-based model of church. Yeah, I'm now I'm remembering like, because uh, I did student ministry for a while before moving to Portland and being part of the church planning team and did it in a pretty large church in Houston and then just, yeah, did like D-Now stuff all over the place. But one of the things that I can remember is that reality of like, yeah, a student needs like five adults loving and investing in them. Yeah. But I mean, most students, like even now I, I do... I uh, speak at summer camps with high schools and um, with high school students and there might be like one, like they're the leaders of it are like scrounging together, trying to find one leader for like 10 or 12 students. Totally. Um, who can lead a discussion one night a week. Yeah. And man, I think that's like, <laughs> if there's anything it's like, man, we're going to have to be serious about like getting more, you know, adult believers and disciples in the lives of these students who aren't their parents. But also, I think to your point, it's like, well, it, within a missional community, you kind of have that built in. Totally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, not every missional community is going to be able to fully function um, in that way, but some can and where they can. You know, I think folks who are coaching missional communities, really having an eye towards um, drawing that out and cultivating that is huge. And that's just where it has to be, you know, a, a really a whole church vision um, where you're infusing into the culture of your church, uh, a value and a prioritization of student discipleship. So it's not just a siloed thing that's happening on the side, but it's something that the whole team is aware of, is actively thinking about. Uh, and that's a lot of the work that we're doing at, at Doxa in this season too, is with our staff, with our church as a whole, really trying to think through how we create a culture of student discipleship so that lots of different components of our church, the way we're engaging in our missional communities, the way we're coaching our missional communities, the way we're sharing stories on Sunday, the way we're sharing announcements mm-hmm. on Sunday, all of it casts a really particular vision for the church together um, owning student discipleship. Because it's got to be something that uh, isn't just one person kind of carrying the weight of it, but it's something that the whole church together is saying that this is a priority, this is something that matters, and we're really going to create a culture of it together. Totally. Yeah, and I can... I can imagine there even just being simple things with that calling. Of, I think often within missional communities, high school kids get relegated to the child care component or the adults within the group don't see them as co-disciples, you know, with them and with needs and needs to be pursued. I, I mean, I've experienced tons of the opposite, but I know that that is a tendency to not welcome them in. And so, yeah, continually casting that vision does seem pretty critical. Yeah. Uh, anything else you would add about uh, leading and discipling students? Another question that I'm asked a lot is how you kind of do student discipleship in a decentralized church of missional communities from more of a structural perspective. And hmm. that's something that we've 
tried a handful of different things. And I feel like what we're doing right now is probably the best iteration of it thus far, uh, where in a lot of ways, we're kind of doing a flip paradigm of student discipleship, similar to the way that SOMA is more of a flip paradigm for discipleship. We're really prioritizing not just what's happening on Mm -hmm. you know, that's essential, but it's not sufficient uh, for discipleship. We're saying that really what's happening throughout the week in missional communities is vital, is central to discipleship. We're trying to kind of replicate that with students um, from a structural perspective. So we're really putting uh, student DNA groups on the front burner and we're putting other programmatic realities more on the back burner, uh, but we still have them. So we have a monthly student night at DOXA. We might eventually move that to being twice a month. That is much more like your traditional programmatic youth night. You have worship and teaching and games, and it's really fun. And it's a really low bar, easy entry point for students to be able uh, to jump into what's happening uh, in student discipleship at DOXA. Because uh, the thing that's beautiful about DNA is, is there can be incredible depth of discipleship in there for students. The thing that's challenging is it's a really high entry point. Right. So we try and mix of DNA groups uh, with our student nights so that we have consistent, easy entry points for students to get connected in, for students to be able to invite their friends, um, to be able to have spaces where students can uh, really kind of get connected to, to what's happening. And so we want to think through those layers and really try and have as much as possible consistency with the language and vision of the church as a whole. So again, it doesn't feel like this siloed thing that we're doing on the side, but it's really tied in. Um, that's why we call our student DNA groups, DNA groups, because it's similar uh, in language to our adult DNA groups. Yeah. Um, we kind of model it the way that we do. So we're trying as much as possible to kind of mirror um, the vision of the whole church in the way that student discipleship is, is playing out. But I think it's important in whatever your context is, to think through how you do have a mix of both something like a student DNA group and something like a student night, because you really can't just have the DNA groups if there's not a way for that to have entry points uh, for students who don't yet know Jesus, for students who are new to the church, because it's a really high bar. But there's something beautiful too that that happens at a student night with students being connected to a broader community of peers who are following Jesus alongside them. I resisted that for a while because I'm like, oh, you know, I just want to do like the pure Soma thing and only do informational mm-hmm. DNAs. It's just going to be great. And after a year of trying that, I discovered that you really do need some more of those programmatic realities to you to support it, to create totally. points. Not because you're trying to build a big thing for the sake of building a thing. That's, that's not what we're after. What we're after is discipleship um, and students increasingly submitting their whole lives to Jesus. But some of those things that we're borrowing from more traditional youth ministry paradigms are important and we don't want to throw the baby out with right. the water. Um, and it's, it's easy to do that in a reactionary way. Um, and we just want to have a balanced approach as much as is possible. So in the way we've worked that out at DOXA, we have student DNAs that meet uh, pretty much every week after our 11 a.m. gatherings. And then we have student nights once a month. And that's been a good mix for us um, as far as kind of the discipleship environments unique to students. Um, and then we're trying to integrate students more broadly into intergenerational discipleship environments in our student nights and uh, in missional communities. So those would be a few thoughts just kind of on on more of the structural realities of it. Obviously, that's all super context specific. Um, but I think there's some broad brushstroke things there that apply across context. And that's been kind of a frequently asked question as well. 
Yeah, no, that makes tons of sense. Yeah, that's really good. I can see. Yeah, how that's that's wise, and I thank you too for your humility of saying like we've been trying a bunch of different things, and this is our <laughs> this is our best version right now. Yeah, uh, which is it's always hard when people are asking questions like, "Hey, how do you do this thing?" and in caring for people and discipling them, it's like, well, I can tell you what I'm doing right now, but I don't know if that's exactly what you should be doing, or I don't know if that's like the best thing always. Sure. Yeah. But this is what I'm doing right now, which I think is because I think people are pressing in and wanting to know different ways or more holistic ways of discipling others. And so, yeah, get called a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> Always fun conversations to have. But, you yeah. know. I think in closing, uh, you know, I'm just struck having been involved in student discipleship in various capacities for a number of years, just how beautiful and worth it it is. It's super hard. It's hard work being invested in anyone's discipleship, particularly adolescents that are going through so much in uh, middle school and high school and all that they have to navigate with pressures and challenges that come alongside that. It's, it's really hard work. It's tiring work, but it's work that's so worth it. And so, um, man, I just, I am struck by seeing the beauty of, uh, God just really getting a hold of a life, uh, in a significant mm-hmm. formative season. Um, and thinking about the fruit that will come for decades, uh, from the seeds that are planted and watered and nurtured in middle school and high school is, is incredible. And so it's, it's an amazing opportunity. Most people come to faith before they're 18, uh, that mm-hmm. we don't want to miss. Um, it's it's one of the largest mission fields that's before us. And it's some of the most, I think, untapped missionary energy that's available to the church um, is, is in middle schoolers and high schoolers as we empower them uh, to be all of who Jesus has saved them, to be as his family, as his servants, and as witnesses um, who are sent into their schools, into their sports teams, into their extracurriculars, into every sphere of their lives to bear witness to Jesus and make much of him. Um, and I, I think there's a lot more for us to be tapping into together as the church collectively. And I think as we do, uh, the fruit will be tremendous. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what's ahead for student discipleship for us at, at DOXA or the church more broadly. And it's, it's, it's hard work, but it is so worth it. Man, that's such a good way to end. Yeah, thanks for that call, Adam. I think that's, yeah, it is so worth it. So worth it. And it's such an exciting time. Uh, sometimes people think I'm joking when I say, what a time to be alive. But this is such a great time to be alive and great time to serve Jesus and his kingdom. Awesome. Thanks so much for, for joining us today, Adam. Uh, it's been so great hearing your story and hearing your wisdom and what yeah, God's leading you in as you serve in Doxa and yeah, really, really helpful. So thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Appreciate it. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.